0: Okay, now maybe we are broadcasting. So this is um, our sutta study that we will be trying to do every Saturday. Welcome everyone. If you want to join the discussion, you're welcome to come on down to our monastery and sit in on this don't know where everyone is, they're not coming in. Um, or you can sign up on Google+, send me a message, and let me know, and you're welcome to join the discussion here from wherever you are. So today we will be trying to look at uh, the Sabhasava the Which is a sutta from the Nyjima Nikaya. And here's the English text. And I think, um, based on our experiment last month, we'll try to uh, focus more on the English than on the Pali. So here I've also got the Pali up here. But I think. unless we get some poly scholars up here it would be quite difficult to go through the based on the poly so we'll try to base this on the english and uh, we'll go through and we'll just go through reading it and if people have questions if our local audience has questions then we can ask them or if the Internet audience has questions You can ask them and uh, my, I'll have the poly up as well so you we can go through that. If you want to pull up the English, unfortunately I don't have this English version uh, available online it's copyright and all that, so it may even be illegal for me to show it up here, I'm not sure, I don't care uh, but there is an English version on Access to Insight, and I put a link up that you can go to from uh, from uh, radio.sarimongaloo.org. Yeah, or if you know how to get there, just go to the Access to Insight, and there are two two translations. There's one by the burma Association, and another one by Tanisaro Bikru. So uh, I'm not sure which one's better. But I think generally we recommend the Bodhi translation. Uh, how's how's the how's the text looking there, not Naga, you're both muted. I think. Yeah, it, it's good. I can only see number one complete. Cannot see number two. It's total. I can see half of number two. That's fine. I'm gonna scroll down, but you can read it. Yeah. Okay. As long as it's readable. All right. Okay. So now we have a local audience as well. Um, so all right, well, we're going to do this the Sebastos suit, the second suit of Benjamin My reason for picking this suit is it happens to be one that uh, I'm quite fond of. It's one that I've talked about before. I've given talks in various places on it. makes up a chapter of an online book that I wrote. Um, so for some of the audience, it might not be new, or my thoughts on it might not be very uh, anything anything new. But uh, I think that might somehow be useful as a. In, in regards to our first session, make it easier if I'm going over all the material to kind of uh, experiment to, to help this experiment to go on. Now one of you is echoing over there. No, 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 you're echoing. Say that again? You're echoing. One of you is echoing. Maybe you should turn off your mics. Okay, I am going to. Or turn down the audio, the speakers. And uh, the one reason for those of you who aren't familiar with this sutta, one reason for it being a favorite, is that it's a comprehensive uh, instruction. It's one of those suttas that works well. Or it's a sutta that works better than, than than most even to give a comprehensive overview of the Buddha's teaching from a practical point of view. So not only is does it discuss ma- is, uh, many aspects of the Buddha's teachings, it does so in a practical and from a practical point of view. Can I ask you to put it outside? Thank you. Uh, and so it works for both an introduction to the Buddhist teaching and an introduction to the practice of the Buddhist teaching. And I would say it leans more toward the practical side so there aren't so many doctrinal terms that you have to learn or uh, theoretical concepts that you have to understand it's quite a bit more about, uh, it's more a how-to guide and it's the buddha's how-to guide, or one of them. I'm not saying that this is the sutta that you should learn if you want to learn about the Buddha's teaching there's a lot that's not in here but practical speaking it's quite comprehensive. Hence the name Sambha, hence the Sambha in the name. Sambha means all the long a here. This is sabba, but that's because it's mixed with the word asawa. In Pali, they like to mix words together. So we have the word asawa, and the, the word before it would be sabba. sabba. Sabba plus asawa gives sabbasawa. Sabba means all. Asawa here is a word that uh, it's a little bit difficult to translate, but the concept is easy enough to explain so It comes from the root so which means to to uh, to flow, and so it it it's sometimes referred to as uh, the outflows or so on. Let's see if I can find. Oh, That's funny. Okay, let's see if I can. Let's look. Okay, so we're gonna look at this here. Comes from the Sanskrit root shru sru. Or in as they say, the ashrava. And that's how they would say it in That's oh, it it's a wrong Sanskritization of the Pali. But the Sanskrit would be Asra, as, Asrava. That's what he says. That which flows out or onto the outflow or influx. But the, the it, it's it's really a an abstract derivation. The key here is this idea of intoxicating. Uh, It's the intoxicating extract or excretion of a tree or flower. It, um, etymologically or or historically the the connection here is the the idea of um, something going bad or rotten. The idea of something, something rotting. Becoming tainted, so often the translation that we find is taints, and the commentary actually makes this explicit and and uh, confirms this interpretation. It says, "See what the commentary says here." just reading through the, the commentary. Actually, it gives different derivations, but here we are. This means... Tira means long time. Bariwasya that means because of staying put for a long time or settling for a long time, being uh, left out. Like when you leave a liquid out for a long time, it becomes madira, madira, which means uh, liquor. So the the uh, intoxic the rotten, rotten, uh, or or fermented, so often fermentation, it's often referred to as a fermentation. So it's got these, these two ideas of that which um, flows or that which um, exudes, that, that which comes from or uh, goes beyond the uh, ordinary state. Like this idea of how when something becomes ro- when something goes rotten, it uh, it turns as we say in English, it it turns rotten or be- becomes rotten. This idea of, of it exuding some kind of rotten well, alcohol in this case, or intoxic- intoxicant becomes toxic, so it oozes like a, a, a sore. I think it's another another. Definition that is given here. Number two, it's a discharge from a sore. Is another uh, another definition that we have along these lines. So there's kind of this idea of something rotten or something that that is exuding from uh, from something that has gone bad. this is what it's meant by uh, so this give you give you an idea of this sort of word that we're using now in, in Buddhist psychology which it goes on in the third definition here in psychology, it's uh, certain ideas which intoxicate the mind right So this is the um, this is the sense that it's being used here which is being used here, so there's a difficulty, it's difficult to translate, it's not actually that difficult, it's difficult to translate maybe, but not difficult to understand, it's referring to something rotten, something bad, something that destroys the mind, and he said all this. What you see from from this uh, definition here, that it's all over the Tibetica. we've got examples of it. He's listing all the examples, places where it shows up. The asava are actually quite a a common term in the Buddhist teaching. something that you find playing a central role in the Buddhist teaching. They're an important aspect of the the Buddhist teaching, and they are uh, that which we're trying to remove from the mind. So this is what the Buddha is going to talk about here. Thus have I heard, on one occasion the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jeta's Grove, Anatapindika's Park. Nothing out of the ordinary there. The Buddha spent most of his, the majority of his life in Savati, which, or, or in Jeta's, Jetavana, which is, was a, a forest park near Savatthi. He's living near Savatthi in Jeta's Grove. He wasn't actually living in Savatthi which was the city but he was living in Pindika's park which was in Jeta's Grove. So Jeta was this prince who had a forest and Pindika was one of the Buddhist disciples and he bought this park from, or he bought the forest from Jeta and turned it into a park. There He, the Blessed One, addressed the bhikkhus thus Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied The Blessed One said this Bhikkhus, I shall teach you a discourse on the restraint of all the taints Listen and attend closely to what I say Yes, Venerable Sir, the bhikkhus replied The Blessed One said this Are you going to go into the taints? It's not, is he? Well, the asava are, um, are either three or fourfold, I believe. And I don't know whether we have a list here, but they're uh, Kama asava, Bhavasava, Dita asava, Avijasava so I believe it's, if I remember correctly, there, are, there, are, in some places there are three, in some places there are four. Um, we can think generally in terms of it being just synonymous with the word kilesa or defilement, but I think he's not going to spell them out here, and so even here, especially in in the context of context of the Sutta, we can just see them as being uh, the defilements, but in other places he does spell them out, and he may spell them out, it looks like he's not going to uh, in terms of acting on different levels, so kamasawa are the taints that arise in regards to sensuality, so in regards to sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings and thoughts, there will arise uh, defilements, there will arise attachments, there will arise uh, aversions There will arise likes and dislikes, and fight, fighting, and scheming, and chasing, and clinging, and so on, all sorts of uh, complexity or or complications will arise, difficulties and stress and suffering will arise based on sensuality. Bawasawa uh, are the taints that arise based on desire to become or attachment to becoming, wanting to be this, wanting to be that there are these fermentations in the mind that arise, think, scheming to be this, scheming to be that, um, clinging to who we are, clinging to our station in life, clinging to uh, some idea of who we are, who we want to be. Uh, Or, or conversely, clinging to who we don't want to be, not wanting to be this, not wanting to be that, um, not liking who we are, not not liking our station in life, our position in life, something that is going on, not not particularly relating to sensuality or some experience that we're seeing, but some idea, some concept that we have in our mind, um, like our job or our our family or um something that we, we've we adhere to uh, as as a concept in our minds and the third one ajava or or there's also ditava but somehow it's uh, not included all the time Dita are in regards to views so uh the taints that arise based on clinging to this or that view, the view that there is no, there is no effect of karma, there's no result of karma, so the bad, the bad unwholesome intentions and ideas that arise based on thinking that there's no result of karma, that there's no good or bad deeds uh, leads us to do perform unwholesome deeds with impunity without any sense of moral shame or dread or idea that they might be wrong. Uh, the idea that there is no need to be grateful and, and uh, the, the idea that the views that there are, there's no afterlife. So the idea that when we die that's it, which leads people to think that they can commit suicide and be free from all their problems or uh, not be concerned about cultivating unwholesomeness because they're just going to die anyway. Views about the non-existence of a past lives, which leads people to uh, become upset at their at their or other people's lot in life, and become angry when things seem unfair. uh, Becoming angry at injustice. I mean, it's not in this case. It's not wrong to want to correct. Injustice and and of course injustice can exist, but this anger that comes, as blaming people and 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 becoming frustrated at the nature of the world, uh, and doesn't certainly help. And and the frustration comes from wondering why things don't change when in fact they're they're uh, quite often karmically related. So of course we should try to help people who are are unfortunate, but the view that our Our lot in life is determined by other people, for example, and that someone else is our problem some someone else's actions are the reason for our suffering. This is a very dangerous and and ultimately wrong incorrect view uh views of self, so the idea that there is a self, there is a soul, the idea that there is a god, the idea of free will or the the, the view of free will or determinism all of these views they are a cause for mental fermentation. It's probably my favorite translation for Asava because it makes makes the most, the clearest picture that your mind is is not yet rotten, your mind is, is in a good state but if you let it, it's going to ferment and there's going to be all sorts of gas and bubbling up in the form of defilement and and discursive thought. And finally Avijja Asava, the taints that arise Based on ignorance, so not out of any particular thought or view or attachment, but just out of ignorance, just through not understanding, through not knowing. So uh, when we the, the, the allowing defilements to to arise based on uh, the ignorance of the of for example of the dangers. Uh, of certain act certain activities certain thoughts certain habits so uh, you could I mean a simple silly example might be drug addiction where people don't realize the uh, effects of drug addiction or where people are, are maybe a clear example would be in in regards to being lazy about cultivating wholesomeness uh, letting yourself slip into a false sense of security which most people which Many people in the world do, living their lives out as though they were going to live forever, as though there were no danger, in or as though they could could attain some sort of stable, um, lasting, comfortable, uh, invincible state or, or imperturbable state, not realizing that at any moment disease could strike or, 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 or uh, calamity could strike, and when it does because of their ignorance, uh, their, their lack of cultivation, of mental cultivation, they're left in quite a state and wind up in great suffering and lots of defilements arise. They say they arise based on ignorance, or they've been allowed to arise based on ignorance because of lack of preparation. Um, ultimately all defilements are based in ignorance, but the clear case of ignorance would be that sort of thing where one has has a long-standing sort of ignorance and lack of interest in mental cultivation due to ignorance. Okay, so those are the asavas, that's what we're talking about here, and he hasn't even any... It looks, As I said, it looks like he's not going to lay them out, so we don't have to think too much about that. Let's just think about, in general, the uh, defilements. So again, if uh, if anyone has any questions as we go along, I don't assume there are any yet, but you're welcome to bring them up either the local community or the online community is there anyone out in the hall there you guys uh, is there room for more people to come in you're welcome to come in don't know if uh, we can maybe make room sorry're in a, it's gonna get hotter in here <laughs> so it'll come in we need air conditioning in here no? as long as you can see the screen. So we got this on a projector as well. For those of you on the internet, we've got one of the monitors focused on uh, duplicating on the projector. So we've got a local community as well. Okay, so here's uh, what the Blessed One, the Blessed One said this, and then the summary. Bhikkhus, I say the destruction of the taints is for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and see. It's powerful that this is a key in, in Buddhism that um, enlightenment doesn't just come to you. It's not something you can just walk your way into. It's something that you have to work at. It doesn't just come because you're Buddhist or because you pray to the Buddha or um, because you put on robes or perform rituals. It's something that you have to look for and, or something you have to practice for and work for, and specifically, Something that you have to see. You have to know know and come to know and see. Who knows and sees what? Wise attention and unwise attention. Does anybody know what these words are? What what these are a translation of? What is this a translation of wise attention? Hmm? Yeah. So if we go here, whoops. I'm going to get this down. Why did that go away? There's supposed to be a little thing in there. Let me get that back. Yeah, there it is. Well, this is the commentary, no? This is the words for one who knows, for one who sees, speak away. Asavanang kayang vadami. no ajanato, no basato, kincha janato asano. Yoni socha manasi karang. socha manasi So the word yoni so it's an interesting. It really does mean wise attention. I think that's a fairly good unliteral translation. Um, but the literal translation is, is interesting. If we understand um, the exact state that we're, we're we're talking about, what does it mean to have wise attention? Yoni so yoni yoni is a uh, I think it's actually a word that is used in, um, kind of internationally in uh, Ayurveda Ayurveda and uh, it's used throughout well, it's used in 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 an in international context I think yoni is the womb and I think it's it's they call it the female essence in in Ayurveda and all this Tantra and so on. But it's an interesting yoni is referring to the female, uh, actually I think the sexual organs or the sexual repro- the reproductive organ. Um, but the meaning here is the the origin, yoni going back to the origin. Let's see what he, if I'm. Oh, Yoni. Yoni, the womb, and yeah? But it uh, referring to the origin. So Yoni so means back to the origin. So what is it? What is back to the origin? Manas refers to the mind, manasi in the mind, kara. Kara is the same as the word karma, action to in this case to make or to to uh, put or to establish, to, to make clear in the mind. So the meaning is to, the, the, the uh, detailed meaning of the word wise attention is to keep in your mind the essence or to uh, focus your mind on the essence of things generally to be focused on the essence, to be focused on the origin or the, the root of things, to focus on the essential. so it's referring to a fairly meditative state, we're not just talking about paying attention to a movie for example, we're talking about paying attention to the uh, essential aspects of something. And it could be used in a conventional sense in terms of if you're having a conversation with someone, or if you're working. Let's say if you're working on a project, um, to focus on what's essential and to be um, to be able to dissect a object up into its component parts. Is it similar to sati? Yes. Yeah, it's similar to sati. <laughs> except it's more fo- more in terms of the the wisdom aspect so sati is used to grasp the object and well, I don't know actually that's interesting yoni in somanasikara in the Abhidhammas context I think it arises in in all minds I mean it's actually a fairly general general state, something like you can't comprehend something unless you, I don't know that's certainly not the sense that it's being used in here um, but yeah, it has to do with the wisdom aspect, or or yeah, it's something that has to come along with sati. I don't know, I mean, that's interesting, we should pull up the Abhidhamma at some point I don't have it up here yet, I'll have to find it, and that would take some time but um, you know there there are very specific characteristics of of the two of them, but yeah, this ref, this is kind of you would say when your mind has when you have mindfulness, um, you have to have this sort of wise attention as a an aspect of that state. It's um, maybe a good way of understanding it is when we talk about sati in terms of the sati we are. Uh, we're talking about something different, a little bit different from the Abhidhamma Jhetasika, the Sati Jhetasika, and we'd have to say the same thing is being said here. Um, wise attention. We're not referring specifically to the Jhetasika. Oh, well, here's a here's Bhikkhu Bodhi's explanation of I it. Mean, yeah, this is the the commentary talks about. It. Let's not go into that yet. Um, So sati, sati, the Sati in terms of the Satipatthana or mindfulness in general has many qualities to it, right? It, as we learned in the Satipatthana, subject, it has to have Atapi, it has to have energy, satima, it has to have mindfulness, and it has, you know, there has to be the Sampajanya. Wise attention, as I understand, has more to do with the Sampajanya aspect, but it's a part of this uh, mindfulness, certainly. Unwise attention, as the commentary said, would be uh, attention that is on the wrong means on the wrong track contrary to the t- truth attention to the impermanent as permanent, the painful as pleasurable, what is not self as self so you see it's a it's a wrong sort of grasping mindfulness is more general, a general just grasping of the object holding it fixing upon it yoni somanasikara is this wisdom, this clarity that comes from properly, from grasping it properly a yoni somanasikara is grasping something or as as permanent, so it's less to do with the actual action of of meditating, and more to do with the state of mind that comes from either meditating or not meditating, so if a person is not meditating when they grasp things they're going to grasp them inappropriately this kind of um, follows on the first sutta, remember this is the second sutta and in the first sutta it's all about the difference between wise attention and unwise attention where you see earth as being uh, self, air as being self. You see things, experiences that you have, you see them as, as, and you identify with them. So like, for example, when I see myself here, I identify with that and I, I cling to it and I think, oh, look, at, maybe I'm, uh, my skin is too white or my robes are not, maybe I should have fixed my robes because I'm worried about how they look or something like that. My glasses, how are they looking? So on this kind of thing, this is unwise attention, wise attention is to see that that that's just seeing it's just rupa so that comes from the meditative state, so I would would suggest that's the difference between yoni somanasikara and sati, sati gives rise to yoni somanasikara not having sati gives rise to ayoni somanasikara, if that makes sense but yoni somanasikara would be keeping in mind this image in the right way from the essence, yonisa, yoni, yoniso, which means what is essentially there, which is a seeing an experience of seeing a so would be not regards to the essence, so referring instead to what is unessential, the me, the I, the good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, and so on okay and here's here's why, when, when one attends unwisely unarisen taints arise, and arisen taints increase. When one attends wisely, unarisen taints do not arise, and arisen taints are abandoned. And so that's what I'm talking about here, when I look at my... Oops, i got to put that up, no, everyone's got to see that. I'll be able to switch back and forth, so... What I just said, when one attends unwisely, unarisen taints arise and arisen taints increase. When one attends wisely, unarisen taints do not arise, and arisen taints are abandoned. this is due to um, the focus of the mind, if the mind is focused on the essential, focused on just the seeing aspect, the, the, the experiential aspect, and the taints don't arise, but when one focuses on concepts of I and me and mine, and good and bad, then there arise all of the taints, and those taints that are there become stronger. Bhikkhus, there are the taint there are taints that should be abandoned by seeing. There are taints that should be abandoned by restraining. There are taints that should be abandoned by using. There are taints that should be abandoned by enduring. There are taints that should be abandoned by avoiding. There are taints that should be abandoned by removing. There are taints that should be abandoned by, by developing. And this is the table of contents for our sutta. The seven types of aswa. The first one is Dasana Pahataba by seeing. Then we have uh, Sangwara Pahataba, pratisevana Pahataba, Adivasana Pahataba by enduring. We know Pahataba by abandoning. And Pahana Pahataba. Am I right about that? Pahana Ati. Uh, we know Pahataba. Oh, I got it wrong. Pravajjana, vinodaya. Pravajjana hmm. is by avoiding. Pravajjana bahatvah, and this is vinodaya by removing. And bahavana bahatvah. So, in, uh, it, it it more than just separating defilements out into categories. It's referring to ways of uh, of destroying the taints or different aspects of practice. And this is what, it, what it's going to be talked about in this sutta. I think we'll try to go for. We'll go to, let's say, we'll go till two thirty. Whatever we get done by two thirty, we'll uh, we'll stop there and go back to our meditation. And if people have to leave early, you're welcome to go. But we'll see how an hour and a half goes because I think we got started a little late today. We'll just go through these one by one, see if we can finish the sutta. If not, we'll come back next week. So, what taints bhikkhus should be abandoned by seeing? The word seeing refers to the first of the four super-mundane paths, the path of stream entries, so designated, because it offers the first glimpse of nirvana, because they develop the vision of nirvana. Mm, okay, right. well that's what the commentary says um, but we could go a little further there and and simply through the practice of vipassana meditation vipassana again, pasana, Passana and dasana are, are synonymous they're the same word in different forms so vi, what this is referring to is should be abandoned through vipassana and through the practice of, of vipassana we're going to overcome the taints. This first one is actually the core of the practice, the the sutta is going to go through seven seven sort of aspects of our practice, and as you'll see, the the first one is really the core or the the uh, basic essence of the practice. It's just this meditation, or the practice of insight meditation, the practice of meditation based on ultimate reality. So through the practice of uh, objective observation of experiential reality we overcome the taints and the rest of them at least as far at least in or, or most of the rest of them are focused more on ancillary practices or protective aspects of our practice like using the requisites or avoiding uh, un, unwholesome or avoiding dangerous situations and so on that, that might interfere with this basic practice of seeing things clearly So, what does it mean to abandon the taints by seeing? Here, Bhikkhu's an untaught ordinary person who has no regard for noble ones and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma, there being the noble one's dhamma, who has no regard for true men and is unskilled and undisciplined in the dhamma of true men, does not understand what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention since this is so he attends to those things unfit for attention and he does not attend to those things fit for attention. This is a pretty standard um, sort of sentence for the Buddha to use referring to the difference between one who doesn't meditate and one who does meditate. What we're talking about here is someone who has no interest in spirituality and I'm sure we all know people like this. These sorts of people who uh, Arya what is it? What is the word? He putujano. This is what he's talking about. Aryanang the Aryas or the Sapurisa. So this word, the nobles, in regards to the noble ones, has no interest and no regard, and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhammas. True man means Sapurisa means someone who is uh, righteous, or so on, and is unskilled and undisciplined in their teaching does not understand things that are fit for attention and things that are unfit for attention. So the commentary says that there is no fixed determination in things themselves as to whether they are fit or unfit for attention. The distinction consists rather in the mode of attention. That mode of attention that is a causal basis for unwholesome states of mind should be avoided, while the mode of attention that is a causal basis for unwholesome states should be developed. It's an important point, actually, because it sounds like the Buddha is saying that uh, certain things, certain uh, experiences are unfit for attention, when actually that's not true. Um, So it's... uh, The the word attention might, might actually be a bad... Um, a, a misleading word we're instead re- referring, or the Buddha instead referring to as he says, modes of attention or things that should be encouraged so if someone encourages certain states if someone uh, cultivates certain states, like these ideas of, of self when you look at yourself and um, think and identify with your image or when you think about who you are and, and identify with that to encourage that and to cultivate, to focus on it, that's what the Buddha is referring to here, that's our understanding, that's what the commentary is pointing out, because it's true that even unwholesome states if you look in the Satipatthana Sutta, even unwholesome states are fit for wise attention and should be uh, considered and, and, and contemplated it's probably one of the most useful aspects of meditation is the ability to become objective about our subjective states our likes and our dislikes to understand them all of our worries and fears and guilts and doubts and so on to actually focus on on all of them so there there is really nothing that isn't worth focusing on but the point is here in regards to cultivating so what things are unfit for attention that he attends to? they are such things that When he attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire arises. Ah, here we go. So we do have the the labeling of the asavas. So here he's talking about the different kinds of asavas. The unarisen taint of sensual desire arises him, and the arisen taint of sensual desire increases. The unarisen taint of being, this is bhavasava in regards to being or becoming something, who I am, uh, defilements that arise in regards to who I am, who I'm not and the unarisen taint of ignorance arises him in, in him, and the arisen taint of ignorance increases. So any ignorance that is there increases, and, uh, or it, it in- encourages in- uh, ignorance, it encourages uh, identification with self, and it encourages sensual desire. So this is not talking about contemplation. Well, that's a good point. Contemplation. Um, I don't think so. Based on the the words that the Buddha is using, manasikaroti. It's talking about Um But no, I think it's it's more. Uh, an identification of the things that come from not not having yoni so manasikara so when someone has yoni so manasikara they contemplate proper things or their contemplation is proper in the sense of the thoughts that arise are are wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts don't arise whereas when some has when someone has yoni so manasikara Unwholesome thoughts arise and wholesome thoughts don't arise. So there'd be more contemplation, I would say, like contemplation of of concepts. Um, Like if I look at my image here and I just say seeing, seeing, then I'm just aware of uh, a vision. And so my attention, the things I'm paying attention to, are conducive for insight. They're conducive for the realization of impermanence, suffering, and non-self. If, on the other hand, I don't use Yoni Somanasikara, I'm untrained and I'm I'm uh, un, I'm ignorant of the Buddhist teaching, then I'm going to start to think, as I said, uh, maybe I'm ugly, maybe I'm handsome, maybe I'm like this or that. My it's like, indulging in an idea? Um, I wouldn't say it's limited to indulging, but that's certainly a part of it. It's uh, wrong attention, You're gr- wrong grasping, like the Buddha, like when you grasp if you grasp uh, fern or something grasp it in the wrong way it cuts your hand uh, simply in terms of grasping I would say uh, how you how you grasp the object if I take this to be me and mine um, then my mind's gonna go in the wrong direction indulging will arise for sure but uh, you might even say it's just wrong indulging because if you indulge for say for example in meditation then that would be right indulgence, but uh, but in in the sense that you're probably using the word indulgence, uh, I would say it's just a part of the wrong attention. If you're focusing on concepts, seeing things as more than they are, making more out of something than it is. So when you have an experience of uh, of liking, disliking, of fear, of worry, or so on, and you make more of it, you say that it's a problem. You say I've I've got a, a problem where I'm, I'm, I've got depression, no, I have an anger problem or so on. This uh, is wrong attention. right? So if someone who is angry, if they are, have unwise attention, they're going to focus on it in the wrong way and they're going to focus on the, the uh, this person did this to me, that person did that to me, or they're going to focus on the fact that they have an anger problem or so on. And... and they're going to give rise to guilt and, and self hatred and so on, and, and hurt themselves and hurt others as a result. Okay. And what are the things fit for attention that he does not attend to? Well, just the opposite. They are things such that when he attends to them, the unarisen taint of central desire does not arise, and the arisen taint of central desire is abandoned. So this would be referring to the mindful state. When one is mindful, all of the taints that have arisen disappear, and all of the taints that haven't yet arisen do not arise. The unarisen taint of being does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of being is abandoned. The unarisen taint of ignorance does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of ignorance is abandoned. These are the things fit for attention that he does not attend to. By attending to things unfit for attention and by not attending to things fit for attention, both unarisen taints arise in him and arisen taints increase. And this next part is really neat. This is what happens. This is, if you want to understand what happens when when he does this, this is how he attends unwisely. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What did I become in the past? You can all think of this sort of state where we're... Uh, in, in in Buddhist circles we often think about this in terms of past lives, right? People are always wondering, what was I in the past life? Uh, but I think here it's actually referring a little bit... oh no, it, it may be referring to this as well, but you could see it in, even in terms of this life, when we're wondering, we're reminiscing about our past and how we got here and concerned about the things that we did in the past. What did I do? Did I, what, did I do well there? When, you, when I've given a talk and then I go back and think about it, did I give a good talk? Was it? Did I say the right thing? Did I mess up on this or that? Or how did I say this? How did I do that? Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? What shall I be in the future? How shall I be in the future? Having been what, what shall I become in the future? So planning and I think there are strong undertones here about, about past and future lives. So this concern about what we're going to be in our next life, life, which, um, which would have been a problem for Hindus, and it has even become a problem for Buddhists, where we're more worried about our next life than we are about this life. So we do lots of things, uh, like people when they're getting old, they'll do lots of good things for, in the hopes that they can go to heaven, but uh, not spend so much time meditating, for example. Naga says that... Naga, you can turn on your audio if you wanted to say something. You can also turn off your video if you want, what you like. Okay. But Naga is saying that uh, meditation might not be enough because through through meditation, some people have gone into doing wrong things. A lot of Hindu gurus went to have relationships with their followers. I don't feel just meditation can give the control well that can be true and it certainly has happened even in Buddhist circles where Buddhist teachers have uh, improper relationships with their students and take advantage of their positions but uh, something has to be said for different types of meditations as well but I think you're absolutely right there there's certainly a certain meditation could be enough but often isn't and there tends to have to be some support and that's what the other six are referring to. So this first one is the core but the other six are going to become are going to be seen as as equally important in terms of supporting our practice and that's absolutely correct that's why we need a comprehensive practice that's getting a little bit um, back to the general idea of the sutta, but it's a very important concept okay, someone's got loud noise there can you guys turn off someone's making loud noise make sure you're not if you got lots of background noise, just turn off your audio, please. Unless you have a question, until you have a question. Oh, and then we missed something else. Uh, or else he is inwardly perplexed about the present. Thus, am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? According to the commentary, this passage is undertaken to show the taint of views under the heading of doubt these types of doubt are already pregnant with the wrong views yeah. well we'll go by the commentary, the commentary is that this is Ditasva, which wasn't particular, wasn't specifically mentioned so it, it does have to do with views, the view of self someone gives rise to the idea of self and then therefore focuses on the idea of self And this goes with absolutely every aspect of our existence and our experience. We will look at things in terms of (coughs) being our problems, our issues, being who we are, we identify with them. So when uh, a a mental difficulty comes up, when, uh, as I said, with anger, someone will take it as being, I have an anger problem, and what am I going to do about this, and I have to do something, and oh, I'm... Not, not right, there's something wrong with me, and so on. This attachment to views is what's coming up here. So, it's actually, I think the commentary is quite right in suggesting that uh, this is referring to Dita, so on this, the this, the defilements that come from views. Ah, right, sorry, this, so this is uh, the next paragraph. When he attends unwisely in this way, one of six views arises in him. Let's go through them first the view self exists for me arises in him as true and established or the view no self exists for me aha uh-huh. so even the idea that i have no self is wrong arises in him as true and established or the view i perceive self with self arises in him as true and established or the view i perceive not self with self arises in him as true and established this is this one is interesting because this often happens i think to buddhists we won't say to ourselves, "I perceive not self as self," but that's actually what we are, how we are conceiving it. It it means that we are that I I understand non-self. Uh, yeah, it, this is what happens when you think about non-self. When you think, "Ah, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Right? That's non-self." <laughs> It, I mean, it doesn't. It's not necessarily that way. You can go to your teacher and say, "I understand non-self," and really, truly under, understanding non-self, because you have to say "I." You're not referring to that guy over there. You're not, you know, you have to say "I" as a matter of, of course. But it absolutely does come up through discursive thought when you think about. Suppose you think about your, your. You know, now I'm now. Look at me. I'm 34 years old. I was younger before. So, ah, oh, I get it. It's impermanent. Uh, that, that, that epiphany is, is not non-self, but, or is not, not self, but because it's just intellectual, because you're not seeing that that thought is also non-self, there arises the idea of self, that, oh, that thought is self. So I get, and then there really is this kind of identification. Yeah, I get it. First there's a sense, I get it, but then afterwards there comes, if it's wrong attention, there will come the idea of, uh, I get it. And there, there arises conceit, this is why people who study the Dhamma can be quite conceited because they get it. I get it. I understand it. I understand the Dhamma. But it's no self exists for me. The two sentences about. No self exists for me. Well, they view that there is no self. That I have no self. I am just a, the view. The view that there is no self. But uh, when you th- so when you think to yourself there is no self through non through wrong uh, uh, through unwise attention there arises the clinging to that view the idea that uh, I am just whatever just a um, a bunch of impersonal experiences there's the clinging the clinging of, to the view. Clinging to the view of non-self is also has the potential for problems because it's just a view; it's an abstraction. Or the view I perceive self with not self. Okay, that's a little bit different. Different. The point is that you come up with all these views about self, which is a big spiritual topic, right? even among Buddhist circles and it's possible for Buddhists who have studied the Buddhist teaching to come up with all these views I perceive self with not self arises in him as true and established or else he has, or else he has some such view as this it is this self of mine that speaks and feels and experiences here and there the result of good and bad actions but this self of mine is inter- is permanent everlasting eternal not subject to change, and it will endure as long as eternity. Okay, I want to go back to his first note up here. Of these six views, the first two represent the simple antinom. Ant. Anybody know what that means? Antinom. Antinomy of eternalism and annihilationism. The view that is that what antinom. Antinom. Antinomy, 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 a Scholar, I am no? a contradiction between two apparently equally valid principles, or between inferences drawn correctly drawn, drawn from some principles. Antinomy. I think it must be antinom. Why is that so difficult to say? Antin, antinom, antinomy mutually incompatible incompatibility of two laws okay so it refers to the mutual incompatibility of two different laws eternalism basically two opposing laws eternalism and annihilationism nihilism uh, so self exists for me is referring to the idea that we we exist after death no self exists for me is referring to the, the idea that Uh, we are done for uh, after death that's interesting the view that no self exists for me is not the non-self doctrine of the Buddha but the materialist view that identifies the individual with the body and thus holds that there is no personal continuity beyond death I wonder if he's getting this from the commentary or not the next three views may be understand to r- arise out of the philosophy philosophically more sophisticated observation that experience has a built-in reflective, reflexive structure that allows for self-consciousness, the capacity of the mind to become cognizant of itself, its contents, and the body with which it is interconnected. Engaged in a search for his true nature, the untaught ordinary person will identify self either with both aspects of the experience. Or with the observer alone, or with the observed alone. Last view is a full-blown version of eternalism in which all reservations have been discarded. Okay, I think we'll just take his word on that. Uh-huh. There's so there's different. There's different. This is just referring to self, basically. I don't want to go in. I don't feel comfortable going into too much detail here. Uh, it gets kind of, as you can see, it's quite uh, complex. But there are different ideas of, of the self, and Mahasi Sayada goes into this in his discourse on non-self. Um, there's the self as the... What is it? What is he saying here? It's, uh, self in mind that speaks. Self as the speaker. Self as the feeler. Self as the experiencer. Um, there's self as the dweller. The self is what dwells in the body. There's the self as the... And doer, the self as the master there's different different views of self, so self as the, the dweller is that there's a self that dwells in the body uh, that's that aspect of the view, there's the aspect of the view that is the master the one who controls everything and determines what happens when we want to lift our arm it's the self that makes us lift the arm there's that as, that aspect of self, there's the aspect of self that is um, the feeler, so it's the one who experiences all of our uh, emotions, all of all of the pleasure and pain, that aspect of self, and then there is the doer. Right, so the the self is that which says that which. Um, which does things, which is the body, so it's the identification of the physical body as being self, or the being, I am moving my hand, it's not self telling the body to move the hand, it's the self actually moving the hand those four aspects of self but basically this is not so important to go into detail, we're talking about the view of self one gives rise to identification, you identify with things This speculative view, bhikkhus, is called the thicket of views, the wilderness of views, the contortion of views, the vacillation of views, the fetter of views. Fettered by the fetter of views, the untaught ordinary person is not freed from birth, aging, and death, from sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. He is not freed from suffering, I say. Okay, that's the one side. Then the other side, a well-taught noble disciple, who has regard for noble ones who has regard for noble ones and is skilled and disciplined in their dhamma who has regard for true men and is skilled and disciplined in their dhamma understands what things are understands what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention since that is so he does not attend to those things unfit for attention and he attends to those things fit for attention what are the things unfit for attention that he does not attend to And he goes through the whole thing opposite. That's opposite to above. So things that do not give rise to the asavas, he he attends to them. Things that do attend to the asavas, he does not attend to them. These are the things fit for attention that he attends to by not attending to things unfit for attention and by attending to things fit for attention. Unarisen taints do not arise in him and arisen taints are abandoned. He attends wisely. This is suffering this is suffering is really the the this this one sentence is really the essence of it's referring to the whole practice of Vipassana meditation so this here refers to our whole course of practice one who practices Vipassana meditation is cultivating this realization attending to things as being uh, impermanent suffering and non-self all the way up to the consummation and anulomanyana where one becomes One's thinking becomes in line with the four noble truths. Anuloma Yana can be can be said, can said to be said to be uh, the f- perfect realization of the four noble truths, starting with this is suffering. And so this occurs in meditation when the meditator starts to see everything as arising and ceasing, as impermanent, as unsatisfying, as uncontrollable, until a final moment or two moments where the mind sees clearly this is impermanent this is unsatisfying this is uncontrollable it could be just watching the stomach rising and falling and seeing it change seeing it uh, switch so you see, seeing it do something unexpected and just be getting fed up with it and saying enough's enough I have no more use for this and then there's the cessation or seeing it uh, unpleasant where it's stuck and it's just not getting better it's not amenable to your wishes uh, seeing it suffering unpleasant and or unsatisfying or seeing it as uncontrollable where it doesn't go according to your, your intentions so this, this is this is the consummation of insight meditation starting with this is suffering and then there comes the origin of suffering the is cra- seeing craving as being the origin of suffering, the cessation of suffering. He attends wisely. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. This is, of course, the formula for the Four Noble Truths treated as a subject of contemplation and insight. The commentary says that up to the attainment of the path of stream entry, attention denotes insight, but at the moment of path, it denotes path knowledge. Insight directly apprehends the first two truths, since its objective range is the mental material phenomena comprised under dukkha and its origin it can know the latter two truths only inferentially so through the practice during the practice of insight meditation you don't actually ponder the, the third and the fourth noble truths. those two truths uh, only come absolutely at the moment of, of maganyana, the fourteenth stage of knowledge but during vipassana meditation they're only known inferentially. The fourth one, you know, it's, it, people will like to think that you're actually practicing the eightfold noble path. You're actually not, but you are practicing the Pubhanga maga. So you could be said to be practicing the fourth. The fourth noble truth could be coming into play in a preliminary sense, because of course you have mindfulness. Of course you have effort. You're developing these on a preliminary basis or precursor. You're cultivating them. Uh, to their consummation. You're not yet on the path, but you're getting closer. It can it. Path knowledge makes the truth of cessation its object, apprehending it by penetration as object. Path knowledge performs four functions regarding the four truths. It fully understands the truth of suffering, abandons the tr- origin of suffering, realizes the cessation of suffering, and develops the way to the cessation of suffering. So more uh, accurately speaking, in terms of the theory you don't actually uh, you don't actually attend to all four noble truths is what's being said here the Buddha is just being somewhat general and and imprecise in a sense um, because the actual attending only occurs with the first two and you might even say it only occurs to the first one and that's when so if you look at how the Buddha lays out the four noble truths when he talks about, he, he talks about the first first noble truth as being that which should be parinyaya. Parinyaya means to known, to be known thoroughly. So our practice is all about seeing suffering. That's really a, a good explanation of the practice, to and not just to see suffering, to see the unsatisfying nature of things, to see that the things that we cling to are, uns, are not capable of satisfying us. That's really the whole of our practice, focused on the first noble truth. The second noble truth is what we abandon based on that practice. The third noble practice noble truth is what we attain based on abandoning, and the fourth noble truth is what we um, what where we incline ourselves or what we practice because of our realization, where our mind inclines to, which is the, the path to nibbana. Our mind inclines towards nibbana as a result of seeing something. But it's all as a result of the first one. So Really, the, um, the the in in practical in a practical sense, the first one is that which we attend upon. When he attends wisely in this way, three fetters are abandoned in him. This is the three fetter. These are the three fetters that are abandoned at the point of the moment of sotapanna. Personality view, sakya doubt, vitikicha, and adherence to rules and observances, silabbata paramasa. The path of stream entry has the function of cutting off the first three fetters binding to samsara. The commentary says that identity view and adherence to rules and writ- rules and observations being included in the taint of views are taints as well as fetters. while doubt is classified only as a fetter, not a taint. But because it, because it is included here among the taints to be abandoned by seeing, it may be spoken of as a taint. Well, that's interesting that doubt isn't a taint. I would have thought it would be. And that's the first one. The first one is really the uh, so there you have the the basic basis of insight meditation, um, the focusing on things, the proper attention. So it's giving an outline of uh, the quality of our practice. It hasn't, it didn't. The sutta doesn't actually go into how to practice, which um, goes back to what I said in the beginning. It, this doesn't give. This isn't the only sutta that you should focus on, but it, if a person is um, undertaking the practice of mindfulness, which is obviously the practice that the Buddha is referring to here, then um, this is sort of the shell. These seven things are the shell that we should, or the framework in which in which we should work, in which our meditation should uh, occur, should take place. So for someone, for all of us who are practicing meditation already, this is a reminder. This first one is a reminder of how our meditation should proceed. That it, it, our meditation should be focused on the essence of uh, experiences. Yoni We should be focused on the essence and attending wisely. Not focusing on those things. That, or, or it's a reminder that meditation is for the purpose of focusing our mind on those things that abandon the taints. Right, so maybe we'll go through the next one. It's probably not that... I think the next one is not that long. The, the next, the rest of them are not that complicated. So we'll try to go through one more here before we finish for the day and then we'll do the rest of them. Uh, next week... Or maybe we should stop there. We're already halfway through. Let's stop there. If anyone has any questions, I'll take them. Otherwise, next week we'll go on, because there's no way we can get through the rest of these in the next ten minutes, so... We'll do the taints abandoned by restraining, numbers two to seven. I don't know there's a lot more to say. Those are numbers two to seven next week. So, how was that? That was interesting, wasn't it? Useful? Anyone? Not useful? That's all I got. Okay, so thank you everyone for showing up. Maybe next week we'll try to start a little bit. Aaron, I think you have Sorry? I'm getting feedback from you. Oh, sorry. That's better now. Okay. Um, so yeah, maybe next week we'll try to do it a little more formal. Maybe we can have some... Let's spend the next 10 minutes meditating. How about that? We'll just sit together as a group for 10 minutes. 10 minutes of meditation, and then we'll call it uh, we'll call it quits. Just to reaffirm that we're not just learning this, we're actually practicing it as well. Like I talked about last night, we're not just going to be those flowers that have no scent. Ruchirang yathapi yatapi ruchirang pup bang vanna vandang sat those flowers that have a beautiful scent as well. And these will put into practice the words. I'll just start a timer here. Let me see. This could work. Yes. Thank <laughs> Right. Well, that was 10 minutes. So again, thank you all for coming. And uh, look forward to doing this again next week. Thank you, Bhante.